did you know that it's still Easter? I mean, you might have figured that out when you walked in and went, they didn't take the Easter stuff down. Um, well, we didn't on purpose. Um, one, two, three, four, five of you didn't pick up your lilies last week, but still, um, uh, this isn't just because we thought, well, that would be easier. It is the season of Easter. So Easter is an Easter Sunday, but we head into what we call the season of Easter for the next six Sundays. So second Sunday of Easter, third Sunday of Easter, all the way to the last Sunday of May. And what comes after Easter? What Sunday is June 4th? Anybody know what comes next? Pentecost. Yeah, so that's what happens there because in the scripture it was actually that many days. That was, it's actually the same timeline from the resurrection to what was celebrated as Pentecost uh, by the Jewish people, but that was the day that the Holy Spirit came. What I'm talking about here is the seasons of the church year, the seasons of the church year. Um, uh, we're, we're calling it here at Naperville Covenant a year for hope, and we're following these seasons from Advent to Epiphany to Lent to Easter, to Pentecost, and then the long season of growing, which some call ordinary time, which is not a very inspiring title, is it? So we call it the season of Pentecost, all the way until Advent comes again. And so it gives us a little bit of a rhythm and flow to see how God has worked and, and, and to find our way through the Scripture. Along with the church year are, are verses of Scripture, four different texts each week that we call the lectionary, that have been chosen from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the Gospels, and the Epistles. And so we, uh, we print the, those texts every single week. We don't always dip into them, but like today, uh, Kayla spoke from the Peter text, uh, and we just provide those each week as sort of a guideline for us. Some, days they, some weeks they find their way in the sermon, some they don't. But this is the season that we follow. In these weeks after Easter Sunday, as we head into Easter, some of the, the texts are pretty predictable. Uh, the gospel texts for these next few weeks have to do with what we call the, the post-resurrection appearances, like Jesus fixing breakfast on the beach, like uh, the two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. If you don't know that story, that's Luke 24, wonderful story where two are walking uh, with Jesus and they see him in the breaking of the bread. But the lectionary also this year, there's three cycles, the year A, B, and C, this is year A, also gives us in these weeks after Easter readings from uh, the book of Acts, the book of Acts. And that's what we'll be looking at for the next, uh, off and on for the next six weeks. The church, the idea here is that the church got birthed after the resurrection. The church came to life after uh, the resurrection. And this sort of gives us an idea of, of what's happening now as the church begins to move forward. And so we've chosen the title, The Church Moves Forward in Hope. That's the theme for us of moving forward in hope. We've just celebrated all through Lent. We've looked at this whole initiative of blessing people through evangelistic efforts of building relationships with people. We've shared good news stories on Easter Sunday last week that were just amazing to hear how God is impacting young lives and older lives as well. And now we're looking ahead into Windy City Project uh, and, and, and how we can sort of put some of our feet on the ground to, to love people with the love of Jesus. We look ahead also at this point in our church year to our congregational annual meeting on May 21st. And we're, we're, we're looking with a, a hope-filled perspective on our, our changing finances. It all ties together as we, as a church, move forward in hope. As people of the, the scriptures, as we move forward in hope. As people who live in this day and time, move forward in hope with the hope of the gospel. Now, the reading that we just heard that Rose read for us is from Acts chapter 2. It's part of Peter's sermon on the Sunday, on, on Pentecost Day. But it comes on this Sunday right after Easter because Peter proclaims in these words the resurrection. Peter proclaims the power of God to make that resurrection happen. Peter proclaims the death of death in this passage. Did you like that? He's kind of saying, you know, David wrote these words, but remember, David's still dead. He says, but he wrote them about the Messiah who's not dead. That's kind of what Peter's saying there. 
the death of death. And then he, Peter also here writes of the incredible gift of life now available in Jesus. And this all gave great hope to the new church as they moved forward, and it gives us hope as we've moved forward too. Christ is here, active among us. Now, these first two weeks, today and next week, we're going to be weaving in also this theme of generosity and stewardship. We'll be looking at what the early church was experiencing and learning about God's generosity and about their calling to be generous with others. What they were experiencing as God poured out his power and blessing on them, and then what they would do in response. They were moving in forward in hope. They were practicing generosity. I'm going to read for you... Uh, part of Paul's letter to the, the young church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. See if you can pick up on a, a key word in here. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. And God will give generously, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, godly people give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good, and he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. And when, you, we, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will break out in thanksgiving to God. So two good things will happen. The needs of the Christians in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanksgiving to God. You will be glorifying God through your generous gifts, for your generosity to them will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the wonderful grace of God shown through you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. What was the key word? Good, I just want to make sure you noticed that. So, yeah, woven all the way through. What we're going to look at now for the next few minutes is that the early church moved forward with great hope. They moved forward with great hope because they were experiencing this outpouring of God's presence. They were experiencing this generous outpouring of God's presence. They were experiencing a power that was moving among them, and they were experiencing a goodness from God uh, that they had never really encountered until the resurrection and then the coming of the Spirit. And in response, they were learning to practice generosity, and we're going to take a look at what we might be able to learn from them. We're going to look, first of all, at a generous God, and secondly, at, at some examples of generous disciples, and then thirdly, what that might mean for us as a generous church. The generosity begins, well, in the beginning. <laughs> you can hear it in the creation story where it says in Genesis 1, so God created human beings in his own image, and God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, everything that has life. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very, very good. God created us, and then he gave us all things, all things to eat, all things to manage, all things to care for. It's all his, but he generously shared it with us. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Lord and the world and all the people belong to him. And we hear it in the Second Corinthians text also that I just read, that God will generously provide all you need. You will always have everything you need, for God's the one who provides the seed. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. A generous God. God is generous with us. And as the first giver, he, he built that generosity into us. When he created us in his image, we were made in his image. 
He is a giver, and he made us to be givers as well. Now, when we speak of the image of God, um, there's a lot of theological unpacking to do with the image of God, and obviously we don't have a, a visual image of God. We don't look much like the guy in the ceiling of the, uh, of the Sistine Chapel, for example. <laughs> but the image here is not so much a visual image as much as it is a, a, a relational image. God is relational in God's very being. Let us create humans in our image, said God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God built us for relationship. God built us for relationship, and God also, in the matters of, 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 of having a will, in matters of reason, in matters of choice, the ability simply to love and to feel things and to feel compassion, those are all the things where the image of God is imprinted into us. It makes us different from animals. I know your pet happens to be remarkable in the way he or she is able to feel and reason, but still, humans are different, Okay? Because we are made in the image of God. Also in God's very nature, he is generous. We are made to be givers. And we know this whole image of God thing is that life works better when we live according to God's design. Life works better when we work according to design, his relational design, his loving design, and then choosing wisely and even in our giving. He is a generous God and he calls us then to be generous disciples. We see this generosity in his first followers. We know that when uh, we hear the word disciples today, we know that we, we mean men and women. But when we come to the New Testament, usually when we talk about disciples, you just kind of automatically think, guys, you know, robes, dish towels, you know, this, it, it's always guys, right? But listen to this. I love this passage from Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. After this, Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another. The 12 were with him, 12 guys, right? And also some women. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women disciples were part of the support system for Jesus and the 12 that he had chosen to be his apostles. And by support, I think it was more than like, you guys are doing an awesome job. I think it was support out of their own means. We're talking about cash here. We're talking about feeding them and providing for them. As their full-time call, they were living into their calling by sharing the good news of the kingdom. And these women were part of that sharing of the good news, and they were providing and giving. We move into the book of Acts. In chapter 4, it says this, kind of an overall description of the, the young church. All the believers were of one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything they had. There was no poverty among them, because people who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. There was this commitment to give to one another, to make sure that no one went without. That within the family of faith, there was care and concern for each other. And, and even to this day, we, 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 <clears throat> we try to address that in our churches. We have a benevolence fund, for example, that we receive on communion Sundays. And when families within our church body have a special need, we're able to tap into that and to care for one another. And of course, care happens in many other ways, but that's, sometimes it's a financial need that gets, needs to get addressed, and that's what's happening here. These pictures of the early followers as generous givers encourage us to look towards our own growing edges in generosity. 
So as today's followers, we see where there's room for us to grow as well. I found a story, I think I've used it several years ago, but I, it, it, that refers to well-known, you, you know when I read the generous thing, you were going, oh, that's where that cheerful giver thing is, right? That kind of annoying verse that people like to quote about, God loves a cheerful giver. Here, here's a twist on it. A mother gave her child a $1 bill and a quarter. Sweetheart, the mother said, you can place either, either one in the offering plate. It's entirely up to you. As they were driving home, the mother asked the daughter what she had decided to give. Well, at first I was going to give the dollar, said the daughter, but the man behind the pulpit said God loves a cheerful giver, so I felt like I would be much more cheerful if I gave the quarter instead. <laughs> so she's got some room to grow, right? And don't we all? The Apostle Paul pointed out to this young Corinthian church as they were moving forward in hope, he was, he was pointing out to them that they had some room to grow too. He says, you're doing a really good job of giving, but remember, you are not done when the gift is sent. And remember, God is not done blessing you or using you, and he will continue to give you opportunities. He was telling this young church, there, there's room to grow. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 says, For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good, and he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. Growing edges, growing edges for us in our giving. Again, Sandy has been very uh, transparent with us about a growing edge for her in recent years. For some here, it still might be a work that God's doing in our hearts of kind of loosening our grip on things, of really coming to understand that it really isn't mine, it's, it's his and he's entrusted it to me. Others know it's the right thing to do and know that it's what God wants, but it's still hard to trust God with more. And for some, even though we know it's the right thing to do, it's hard to give to God first, isn't it? How do I know there'll be enough left over afterwards? That's a growing edge for some to say, yes, I will give. I'll be generous when it fits. And yet I think sometimes a step up maybe is that first fruits. That's a biblical principle, really. Still others are are doing that and experiencing the blessing of God and, and experiencing a genuine joy in giving. They really are somewhat cheerful when they give. But sometimes we may feel we need to still move even to new levels there, new, new areas of giving. Of perhaps expanding giving to the church or, or choosing some other area where we... I, I know some people have... Uh, I, I, one of our children is telling us that they have... I think it's, it's, I think it's only maybe $50 a month, but every month they have a different... They, just, they have so much fun deciding where they're going to give that amount. I'm so proud of them that they're giving to their church first, but then they're deciding what amount will go somewhere else. And they do that cheerfully. From time to time, Megan and I evaluate our giving and and challenge ourselves to change and expand and to grow. They're growing edges for all of us wherever we are on that spectrum. Maybe I shouldn't say spectrum. Continuum. We'll do that, right? (laughs) So scripture tells of a generous God and, 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 and who creates generous disciples and that we would then work together to be a generous church. As followers together, we want to do what Jesus calls us to do. And we here at Naperville Covenant have referred to pursuing Christ's priorities together, pursuing Christ's priorities. Now, a few years back when we were doing some work on this, we, we referred to that as the definition of missional, of, 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 of pursuing Christ's priorities. But we found out that sometimes that can be a little bit misleading. That word missional can be a confusing word, and sometimes we pigeonhole it only to mean mission, missions 
like over there, out there, and support. But missional is really a much bigger, broader word. We need to kind of revisit it here as we speak of being a generous church. Missional is not necessarily synonymous with missions, of doing mission work or sending missionaries. It's not reference to just a committee. It's not even just projects or, or funding for missions or funding for mission trips. Those are all part of missional. But it's bigger than that. And it's not something certainly to be kept distinct from discipleship. Well, we've been a little too missional, so maybe we need to be more disciple-building. Discipleship is a missional thing because we're pursuing the mission of God together at home and outside the church. It's a broader definition. It's based on the idea of the mission of God, or the Latin is missio dei, which means really... uh, uh, the, sent, the God who is the sent one, God, God's initiative to move out into the world, God's initiative to redeem and to fix a broken world is the mission of God. And we are sent ones with God too. We are sent forth also as maturing, growing disciples. That's what we say in our vision statement, that we will be equipped to make a kingdom difference. We are equipped as disciples to make a kingdom difference. And of course, as missional people, we are to grow as disciples together. Of course, to be missional disciples, we are to build a strong sense of community together here. That's God's working his mission in us, but he's working his mission in us in order to work his mission through us. Pursuing Christ's priorities. What are Christ's priorities? Christ's priorities that people would come to know him in a saving relationship and live with him eternally. Christ's priorities is that we would come to him and join him in this adventure we talked about last week of making wrong things right. Jesus' priorities are the redemption of all things. Christ's priorities are our, our maturity in Christ, our wholeness and healing and reconciliation. Christ's priorities are that we would fix broken things and that we would work for reconciliation, truth, and justice. Christ's priorities is that we would be shaped as generous disciples, giving of ourselves, giving of our resources, giving of our time. Missional is so much bigger than a mission trip or experience. When we pursue Christ's priorities together, that means we are working together. That means we are financially supporting together. That means together as leaders in the church and others, we are discerning together about how and where we will spend our money and where we won't. It means we will be more discerning about strategic plans that we make and fundraising that we do so that that's not just projects, but that we are being generous stewards together, pursuing Christ's priorities. Another phrase that I love, and I'm going to bring it up again, is that of embracing the whole mission of the church. The whole mission of the church. The whole mission of the church is to to equip and build disciples, but it's also to reach out and share the good news of Christ in evangelism, and also interwoven with that to pursue ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. It's the whole mission of the church. We refer to it as making a kingdom difference. Making what? How will we make a kingdom difference? I think one of the things is we'll make the kingdom bigger. We'll invite people to follow Christ, and the kingdom will be bigger. But also, as we make a kingdom difference, we make efforts in relationship with the people and coming alongside certain agencies and mission partners that are working to make wrong things right. We are making the kingdom a more caring and just place. We're invited to join this adventure of working with God, of not just saying, I got my salvation, I'm waiting for Jesus to come. 
but joining this adventure, making a kingdom difference. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. Making a kingdom difference for us also means making sure that our, our makeup as a congregation and the, the ministries that we do head towards a greater diversity. Realizing that the kingdom of God is a very diverse kingdom with all kinds of people. And there's this vision of heaven where dividing lines of race and dividing lines of economics are gone. And we are one in Christ. We make a difference and we make a kingdom difference when we make the kingdom bigger. We make the kingdom difference when we make the kingdom a more caring and just place. We make a kingdom difference when we work for a deeper diversity and an understanding among all people. That's the whole mission of the church. That's moving forward in hope. And Naprakov, I think we're moving forward in hope. We're doing a lot of these things. God is working through us. I love some of the things that are going on right now. I love the prayer initiative that we have with kids. We all, several of you took names in January and you're praying for kids now and we need to give you reminders from time to time to pray for uh, your child either all the way from newborn up through college age. I hear good reports from the women's 341 group. Some of you women are involved with, with two other women and you're connecting by email prayer requests and you're trying to meet once a month. And I'm hearing reports of things going deeper and connections being made. I get to be on most Wednesday nights, I get to be with the junior high group. Pastor Diane and I are, 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 are it takes both pastors, but it's great. It's so fun. And Bob Diller. Bob and, and Diane and I, we were in the kids this week. It's great. And that group is growing. They're growing in energy. They're growing in uh, volume. Um, and uh, this is great, though. We had eight kids present, but we counted nine. Because um, Addie Ryan said, my friend Natalie can't come, but here she is. And so Addie was, or Natalie was next to us on the sofa on FaceTime because she couldn't come to youth group, but she could at least be there on her phone. She wanted to be there that bad. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great? That gives me great hope. They're such a fun group, and they're growing, and they're excited. I'm excited about Windy City Project, about combining some of the best of what we've done with VBS in the past by putting on an evening into a weekend where other people can participate and we can cast the net out much farther and invite other kids in for this shorter, more intense time of VBS together. I'm excited about combining that with, with, with our relationship with Wyman and having Wyman people here helping us do that while we go in and work on some projects in the city as well. We're also having another uh, late development, these butterfly gardens. You might have read that in the Windy City Project uh, information. Now we know we are going to build a butterfly garden at Alden. It'll be Friday afternoon and Monday afternoon of the Windy City Project. You can find out more at the Windy City Project table. We're also going to be taking some next steps in our relationship with Scott School and their literacy programs. We did barbecue and books last year. We're doing it this year. But this really needs to be a seed that's planted where we figure out what more can we do in terms of literacy effort. It may look like things like walking kids to the library through the summer. It may be some of you volunteering to go reading with kids during the school year as well. We need to take some next steps in that partnership as well. We're learning more about reaching our community and doing mission together. I'm so encouraged by a core of younger adults who are connecting here at Naperville Covenant. We are, we're in the process, our, our Board of Spiritual Life now is meeting with, we will have eight new members to present to you at our congregational meeting on May 21st. And I hope I don't embarrass anybody, but they're all but one are under 45 of the eight that are joining the church. I won't tell you who the other one is, but anyway. <laughs> I'm just trying to make this point of what's exciting me, of, of older people that are connecting and younger as well, younger families and older adults with a commitment to the church and a path and passion for, for authenticity here and effectiveness out there. Finding a voice and gaining influence. 
I mentioned diversity before. We are, we're slowly and gradually learning from our diversity. You'll start hearing occasional stories on Sunday morning. I've met with a couple people whose lives they will share from their own life, sharing from their own stories of race, from our own church family, what they experience and what we can learn from them. And I would even say that our, our current financial challenge is, is, a, is welcome in a way. <laughs> I like how God has gotten our attention. It's good for us. It's forced us to take a closer look at our pride. What really is most important to us as a church? And how will a shrunken but empowered budget empower that? It's making us look more carefully at our vision and who God's calling us to be. It's calling us as leaders to a deeper sense of discernment, not like, oh, that seems like a good idea, or I heard about another church that did this that says, God, what do you want us to do here? We're learning spiritual discernment in our spending and how we invest our time and our resources. We have a wonderful, hardworking leadership team who gets it and is committed and loves it. There'll be some slight changes to that team at our meeting on May 21st. I'm excited about some new people and some new life that will come as new members come and join a committed group of leaders. As we move forward in hope, we, we need that. We need everybody in, all in. We're here, Neighbor Cove. We're not going anywhere. We're here, we're motivated, we're engaged, and I am full of hope for our mission together. But it will take us working together. It will take us deepening connections here, keeping our eyes on the vision, and keeping our eyes outside the four walls there. And, of course, it will take our consistent and faithful practice of generosity. Three quick questions here at the end. First of all, none of this makes sense unless we've received the first gift from, from God. That is to receive the gift of grace from Jesus. All this business about giving in generosity and giving first and giving it away doesn't really make sense until we're rooted in that walk with Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't been there yet, let's talk. And let's talk about what it might mean then to enter into a life-transforming, perspective-changing relationship with Jesus. Next question is simply, where is there a growing edge for you in practicing generosity? These two weeks are a good time to consider that. As we address it at the event next week, and two weeks from today, we'll bring our faith promises forward in a sealed envelope. Where's the growing edge for you? And then finally, I just ask on behalf of the church to pray for our church. How will you pray for, encourage, and invest in your church as we seek to mature and grow together in generosity? And what part will you play to help us move forward in hope? You may not be able to give very much. You may, not, you may have to give this next year less than you gave last year. That's okay if you've seriously looked at it and prayed about it. But there's something all of us can do as we pray for our church and participate in it and connect with the vision and the direction that God is taking us. So I encourage you to take a good look at this next couple of weeks. It is about money, but it's not all about money. It's about our hearts and our passion for Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for how rich your word is that draws us to you and gives us great hope. Lord, I just pray for this message of generosity that your spirit would take it and let it land in our heads and hearts where you want it to land, Lord God. And you would guide us as we make choices in how we follow you and how we invest in the life and the vision and the hope of this church. We ask it and pray it in Christ's name. Amen.